Great. Okay, I'm going to pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, you, uh, you give us life. You are life. In you um, is life to the full. Your word is life. And we really need it, Lord, tonight. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you, would you come and speak? Thank you that you're here. Thank you that life is in you and you are here. So Lord, we, yeah, we say, come, come and speak to us. Amen. Well, hi. Good evening, everybody. I'm Laura, and um, I'm part of the church here. And uh, we're doing on Sundays at the moment, as part of our um, Bible teaching, a series called The God I Don't Understand, um, giving ourselves another opportunity as part of the year of biblical literacy, there's the poster there, um, that we're doing, just to ask some uh, big questions about scripture, some of those moments um, that we find hard, some of the big questions about life that we really struggle with. And tonight's topic is <coughs> suffering. Suffering. You know, one of those topics which brings with it a whole host of our own experiences, our own disappointments, our own tears, our own losses, our own sadness, our own questions, our own doubting, our own grappling, suffering. It's probably, I reckon, the biggest, there are you know, several others, but the biggest objection that lots of people have to God and to coming to faith in Jesus. They look at the world around them and they're like, okay, <laughs> how does this make sense? But right at the beginning, what I want to say to us this evening, and we'll, we'll see it as we journey through John 11 that Chris just read for us. Right at the beginning, I want to say that, you know, out there in the world, you will find no greater word spoken to our pain, to our hurt, to our disappointment, to our suffering. No greater word spoken to that than the word of God to us in Christ. You know, where else can we go but to him? For he has the words of eternal life. And you know, even with him, the God we don't understand, it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? And that's why we're doing this, and that's why we're here this evening, and that's why we're opening scripture and we're engaging with this topic. But at the beginning, I want to say, out there, in different worldviews, and in different faiths and different religions, you will find no better answer, no better engagement, no more real but yet more hopeful declaration to our suffering and to our pain than that which we have in Jesus. So I want to look um, at four phrases that we have in this narrative in John 11. Uh, four phrases throughout the chapter, kind of as a way of um, engaging with this, this topic. And here, um, in this story, we see, don't we, real sadness and loss. We've got tears. We've got death. And eventually we do see, you know, the authority of Jesus to raise the dead. But just imagine that it stopped before that point. 
that we kind of only read or we only had to like verse 37, where we stayed in the pit and in the pain and in the questions and in the disappointments. Imagine that we just kind of stopped there. And our first phrase that I want to think about is that phrase that actually both Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, both of them say, and that's the phrase, Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you'd have done something, Lord, don't you care? Lord, where are you? Lord, what are you doing? Ever said any of that? Ever prayed any of that? Ever had those moments like Mary and Martha when you are faced with suffering, when you are faced with loss and disappointment of saying, "Um, Lord, if you'd have healed the cancer, if you'd have prevented the accident, if you'd have intervened in the womb, if, if you'd have stopped the tsunami, if you'd have done something. And we believe, don't we, and we declare in the goodness of God, that he is good, that he is loving, and we see in our lives and as we look through scripture, his involvement in human history, we see that he is good, we see that he is loving unconditionally for us. We know that, we trust that he is powerful. That's, that's our message, that's our faith. God is good, he loves us, he is for us, he is powerful. So then what do we do when there's stuff in our lives which seems to contradict that? You know, stuff which doesn't feel good. And stuff where we wonder whether is God maybe as powerful as I thought that he was? Lord, if you'd have been there, said Mary and Martha. You know, doesn't some suffering, and maybe even this evening, suffering that you have had in your own life, doesn't it sometimes seem just so cruel? Like, so pointless. So deeply, deeply painful. Lord, if you'd have done something. And do you know what the really puzzling and kind of controversial thing about this passage initially is that it appears, it seems as if Jesus actually deliberately delays going to Lazarus. So if we read in verse 6, we we didn't actually um, read this earlier, but if you've got a Bible, have a quick flick to it. In verse 6, Jesus says, um, it says this, uh, Yet when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Huh? Mary and Martha knew, didn't they, that with Jesus there, everything would be different for them and for Lazarus. They had seen Jesus, the power that he had to heal the sick. At his very command, storms would stop. The blind would see, the lame would hear. Um, The lame would, no, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear. Good job Jesus knew what he was doing. They knew he had the power. And I think what's more important as well is that they knew that he loved them. This, the writer of John's Gospel wants us to have absolutely no doubt, no question about the extent of Jesus' love for this family, for Mary, for Martha, for Lazarus. And in fact, he says three times over that they are the ones that Jesus loved. His power, his love is without question. There is no doubt about that. So doesn't that make it even more 
puzzling as to why he would delay. What kind of love does that? You know, and sometimes in our lives, maybe sometimes in your life, maybe right now in your life, it may appear, and I say appear, that God doesn't care or that he isn't that powerful. And we may find ourselves in those moments questioning the God we don't understand. And can I say to you this evening that it's okay to do that? It's okay to question. It's okay, like Martha does, to go out and confront Jesus, to talk to him. I'd encourage you this evening, if you're in that place, you know, be, be like Martha. Go and talk to Jesus. Go and be in his presence. And that is what Mary needs as well, isn't it? You know, she's hanging back in the house, but when she hears Jesus has asked for her, she goes to him. Because like I said, where else can we go but to Jesus? So if ever there's an invitation to wrestle with this, it's here for us in John 11. You know, ever since uh, I can remember, I've prayed my hardest, my most kind of imaginative and creative prayers for my only um, and older sister. And I guess ever since her birth, um, our family has been shaped by what I like to call pending prayer. Pending prayer. I find that in this case and in others as well, sometimes a bit more helpful than unanswered. You know, pending prayers. Prayers for which we are experiencing the delay of God, but for which we wait for him to put right. And we're going to get to that. Have you got any of those tonight? Any pending prayers? Where, like Mary and Martha, before, before we get to the end, we're, we're in that moment of waiting and we're grappling. What will you do? What will I do in those moments? Because I think the invitation here for us is to keep trusting and to keep coming to God. I used to be um, a secondary school English teacher. For some people, that's probably really bad news. Um, <laughs> but um, I yep, used to do that. And I had a lot of fun um, marking my um, uh, pupils' um, creative writing. Uh, and there was one um, boy I taught in particular who always, his work always brought a smile to my face. And he was um, like a budding scientist. He, he was brilliant at this exercise that they'd have to do where they'd get given as part of their English exam. Well, yeah, I didn't really you know, know why always, but this long piece of non-fiction text and they'd have to kind of summarise it. I don't know whether any of you remember doing this. Precy, um, have to kind of summarise it concisely. And Mark was brilliant at that, like 10 out of 10. Well done, to the point. Uh, but when I would um, take in his uh, creative writing <laughs> work, it would often um, sound a bit like this. I went to Worcester, it rained. They like Elgar and Scotch eggs. And, you know, don't get me wrong, if you're uh, reading instructions, that's the kind of thing you want, isn't it? Short, sharp, to the point, like five words in a sentence maximum. Um, but all over his, his work, again and again, I'd have to write the phrase, Mark, don't put your full stop too soon. Don't put your full stop too soon. 
And I feel that Mary and Martha and the disciples around Jesus in this story, and maybe you even here this evening, wherever you're at, in your suffering, in your questions, whatever your story is, that you're invited in that to not put the full stop too soon. When we're faced with the delays of God, will we cling hard to his promises? Will we hold on to the fact that he is good, that his love endures forever, that his mercies are new for us every morning? Will we hold on to him? Now, I'm not I'm saying that in the midst of suffering, especially extreme suffering in your own life or in the lives of those around you, you've just got to kind of say, you know, come on, look on the bright side, let's stick a Jesus-shaped plaster over it and pull your socks up, it'll be fine. You know, how insensitive, how inhumane, and how, as we'll get to in our second phrase, how un-Jesus would that be? You know, sometimes, and the Archbishop of Canterbury commenting on his feelings and emotion at the loss of his seven-month-old daughter in a car crash, said that sometimes to the individual suffering of individual people, there is no answer we can give for why God allows some things to happen and why he intervenes in others. I don't know why that story is theirs and mine is mine. But I do feel that we are invited in those times to dig deeper into God, to cling harder to him, to trust his promises, and to not put our full stop too soon, but to let him finish off the sentence. And you see, evil is kind of so uncreative, isn't it? So like short, sharp sentence, five word max. But yet, God, in his creativity, through his spirit, he can weave a wonderful, creative tale of restoration in our lives. And you see, God, in doing that, doesn't remain distant. That is just not what our God is like. And that's why, as I said at the beginning, you will find no better word out there spoken to our pain and our suffering than that that we have in Jesus. Because in Jesus, God steps in. Have a look at verses 33 to 35, where we read... Our second phrase, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Here is Jesus, God himself in the flesh, who in a world of suffering doesn't remain distant, but feels our pain, shares our sadness cries tears of his own. But you know what I find even more compelling about the emotions of Jesus in this passage, and not so much his tears, but the fact that it says twice, we have it in verse, um, in my translation, it's put like this anyway, and it's a kind of second phrase, um, verse 33 um, and verse 38, that Jesus was deeply moved. It might also say those words in the Bible you've got in front of you, that he was deeply moved. Now, suffice it to say, that's quite a British translation. You know, deeply moved. What's more appropriate, actually, was in the translation that Chris read, 
which implies this kind of groaning. It's like deep emotion of Jesus. Like we think kind of the original language, the Greek, it's a little bit like the sound an animal would make, like snorting, almost like uncontrollable. How un-British. Here is Jesus staring at death, feeling the pain, and he groans and he moans in compassion. He's actually had this similar response um, in the beginning, the very opening chapter of Mark's gospel, before Jesus goes and heals a leper, it says um, that it was almost like his bowels were stirred with compassion in seeing this man, and that that moves him to heal him. This is our God, the God who doesn't remain distant, but the God who cries and the God who groans. Because although I've said this passage And there are many passages on suffering in scripture we could have looked at and learnt different lessons from. But although I've said that this one invites us in the delays of God to trust him, to let him finish off the sentence, to dig deeper, to cling on to him in the mess. This also, in the groaning of Jesus, this passage reminds us that that mess is most definitely not from him. God created a good world. And the groaning of Jesus, the crying of Jesus is a reminder to us that Jesus looks on the sadness that we face, maybe that even you are facing right now in your life, and he says, oh, my child, it was not meant to be like this. It was not meant to be like this. And I groan at that. I moan at that. I feel the pain with you. I find it um, such a kind of feeling often when you're faced with the reality of death that it just isn't right. You know what I mean? I remember feeling it um, in uh, one of my pupils. She was 18 years old, killed tragically in a car crash. And in her funeral, I remember turning to Owen, my husband, and just saying, you know, death. It's just so wrong, what it, you know, how it destroys relationships, that kind of, that, that finality that supposedly it brings. And here is Jesus saying that very thing. And we look back, don't we, in Genesis, the, the opening um, book of the Bible, for a bit of an understanding and explanation of why it is that we see the world in the mess that it's in. You know, God created a, a world in which there needed to be genuine love, and therefore there needed to be genuine freedom in order for there to be genuine love and relationship with him and with others. And that's kind of represented in the two trees from which Adam and Eve are told they can and they cannot eat. But in a world where there's genuine freedom for the sake of genuine love, that means we can choose to not do good. We can choose evil. We can turn our back on God's ways, on his goodness. And that is what happens. You'll know it if you've read through the opening few chapters of the Bible. Where we turn our back on God's ways and we um, bring death and havoc in the world. And into that brokenness steps Jesus. And you know what's wonderful about this passage? Is that it, it kind of suggests that actually... It's this specific moment of the healing of Lazarus that 
leads to Jesus' own suffering and crucifixion. Like this specific miracle is the straw that breaks the camel's back, as it were, for the authorities and for the rulers and the religious leaders. If you read from verse 46 onwards, we see that when they see who Jesus is and the power that he has, they go, right, we can't, he, he can't be doing things like that. He's just raised someone from the dead. Let's plan and let's plot for his own crucifixion. How wonderful that Jesus loves us so much that he should choose to end our suffering through enduring his own. It's as Jesus rages against death here in the case of Lazarus that he leads himself, and he would have known this, to his own death. It's as he deals with Lazarus's suffering and the suffering of Lazarus's family and friends that he is led to his own suffering. Our God has wounds, doesn't he? You know, Jesus, nail-pierced hands, where he died in our place. And we'll remember that later as we take communion together. So to suffer then is to be like Christ. To suffer in our lives is to be like Christ. And let that be an encouragement for you this evening, that if you are suffering, or in the years to come if you do, then you are sharing in fellowship with Jesus. You're being like Jesus. And I, I find that often those people who've endured many trials are those who really radiate Christ. I don't know whether you have that same experience with those that you've met, that those who have gone through the tough times and have chosen to let God finish off the sentence, who haven't put that full stop too soon, who've trusted in his promises, are those who have identified with Christ and shared with him in suffering, are those who radiate Jesus. And it is wonderful, isn't it, that our God doesn't remain distant, that he gets stuck in. But if you're stuck in a hole, you need more than someone just to empathize, to kind of come in the hole with you and like, hold your hand. That would be really helpful for me if I was in a hole. But what we really need is we need somebody to get us out of that hole. And you see, Jesus' death, his suffering, his identifying with us in suffering, his crucifixion, to which this event led, it achieves something. It does something. If we're in the grave, we need somebody to say our name. Lazarus, come out. Laura, come out. So our third phrase are the words of Jesus in verse 25, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, the hope that we have as Christians of resurrection, of eternal life, of new creation, isn't some kind of distant, far-off future. It is in Jesus himself. Jesus saying, it's me. I am the death defeater. I am the hope bringer. It's in me. And this passage in John's Gospel, as much as it is about Lazarus and his raising from the dead, it is about Jesus and who he is. The Bible says, and the Christian message says, that suffering is a reality. 
into which our God, the God we worship, has stepped. And, importantly, done something about, dealt with, put an end to. Because you see, when the Spirit of God, the fullness of God, the life of God, the power of God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, bodily and in history, a new day dawned. When Christ, who was crucified in our place for our sin, when he was raised three days later, a new era was ushered in. Resurrection, life and hope. I, said Jesus, am the resurrection and the life. And you know, our prayers and our pain, some of them may be pending until Christ returns and ushers in a new creation. That's where we're heading, isn't it? That's what we are waiting for that day, as Revelation, the last book of the Bible, promises, where Jesus will return and a new creation will be brought in and he will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more crying, no more mourning, no more sickness, sadness, no more death. And some, in some ways we are waiting for that day. But have no doubt, everyone, that that day will come. You know, have no doubt that Christ will return and evil will cease and he will put a stop to all that is wrong and all that is evil. He will mend the brokenness. And the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he himself, as he declares, is the resurrection and the life, ensures that that day will come. I wonder what it is that you're most looking forward to about the new creation. What you long for. What you long to be fixed. What you long to see restored, renewed. What sentence you long for Jesus to write. How will resurrection be written into that in your life, in your world? And whilst we are waiting for that day, we are today people who can know that resurrection life and that power. That's why we, although there are some prayers which are pending and may need the new creation before we see them answered in full, that day following Christ's resurrection, that day has begun now. The kingdom has come in Jesus. And that's why we pray for people's healing here and now. That's why we pray for an end to people's suffering. That's why we do that here as a church. And we have um, in our home a uh, broken frame, a broken picture frame. It actually had a wedding photo in it. And it got broken by a student, not one from here, um, in our other church. Um, that's why we left there. No, um, it was an accident. Um, and anyway, uh, yeah, be careful, students, when you come over our house. If you break a frame, you we're out of here. Um, no. Anyway, um, it yes. Uh, I kind of don't know what I was saying now. It was an accident. The broken frame. And Owen, my husband, um, suggested that we re we kept hold of this frame. Anyone who knows Owen will know that perhaps his kind of it doesn't surprise you that he suggested that um, because of his like relentless kind of zest for life, come what may. And he wanted to keep this uh, broken frame, and we we have it. We haven't actually put it on the wall yet, but it's in his study as a reminder 
of, of resurrection, of piecing together of that which is broken and that it starts in us and through us today since Jesus' resurrection. Um, Karis, our daughter, um, her uh, middle names are Anastasia Joy, which means resurrection joy. And he's got this phrase as well, Owen, that he's often used with me, Laura, despair is not an option. Despair is not an option. Okay, the pain, the tears, the disappointment, of course, they're an option. Look at Jesus, feeling that, knowing that, groaning at that, that is an option. But in light of the resurrection of Jesus, in light of the hope to come, in light of the new creation, despair, complete despair, that is not an option for us. And and praise God it is not. There is always hope. And therefore, and I'm finishing with this, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, that same power of God, that same life of God, that same comforter who raised Christ from the dead, we receive as his people our command, just like those around Lazarus's grave. And that's our fourth phrase, where it says in verse 44, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It struck me for the first time ever in reading this passage that other people are called to do that for Lazarus. You know, it's not, it's not actually Jesus who does that here, but it's, it's, it's others. You see, we are agents of resurrection. We are agents of resurrection. We are those who, in not putting the full stop too soon, are to participate in finishing off, in creating a beautiful sentence, in weaving something glorious out of the mess. So whose grave clothes, so to speak, will you untie this week? Who will you lead into freedom? Which injustices will you rage at with your life's work? Whose tears will you, in compassion, wipe away? Don't put the full stop too soon, because in Christ, despair isn't an option. There is always hope. We long for that day where he will wipe away our tears. And in the meantime, we do it for those around us as agents of resurrection life. Amen.